Okay, so last time we did Revelation chapter 11, and I want to double back and overlap the very last part for a couple reasons. One is to give us a lead-in to what we're going to do today because we're about to have one of those side streams that you see in books where the story's going along and it's really fascinating, and then all of a sudden there's this sideline. One of my favorite books is Le Miserable. I think it's just one of the best books ever written. It's a phenomenal story. And then you get along and all of a sudden he goes off on this tangent for a whole chapter. And you're like, ah! But the tangent's so good you can't not read it. And this is sort of like that. The story's going to stop and he's going to go back and give us a big overview. So remember, seven seals, seventh seal, seven trumpets, seventh trumpet is blown. There's going to be seven bowls in this seventh trumpet, but something more important happens in this seventh trumpet. The kingdom is proclaimed. So 11:15 then the seventh angel sounded and there were loud voices in heaven saying, "The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever." This is kind of like David Ben-Gurion going on the radio and saying, the nation of Israel now exists. And the Arabs started a war the next day. And so it's a proclamation. The kingdoms have now happened. Of course, we know that when Jesus left, He told His disciples, all authority is given unto Me. But Jesus told Pilate not that long before, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, My servants would fight for Me. But now there's a merger between the spiritual kingdom and the physical kingdom. And it is pronounced right now. And I forgot to mention, this is the Hallelujah Course. King of kings forever and ever. Lord of lords forever and ever. And he shall reign forever and ever. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's it. This is where this comes from. I will be disappointed. If we don't hear this, when we get to heaven. Yeah. But maybe there'll be something better. Who knows? We give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is, who was, who is to come. You've heard that before. That's the outline of Revelation. We saw what was in the seven churches, what was and is at that point. John, the time John's writing. And what is to come is chapters 4 through the rest of the book. And we know that God is the one who was, who is, and who is to come. He's the unchanging aspect of the whole universe. Because you have taken your great power and reign. Now last week, Brandon and I went back and forth and he was giving us a little Greek lesson. And he sent me an email about this term, reigned. So I'm going to read it to you. Because it's kind of confusing because the kingdom is being pronounced and yet this is a past tense verb. And the reason it's past tense is because this is a Greek aorist tense and we do not have this tense in English. So it's usually just rendered past tense. But here's what he says about the aorist tense. A-O-R-I-S-T. When an aorist verb is used in a verse, it does not have any built-in time element attached to the verb. Which is unusual. Well, all of our verbs are past, present, or future, but not aorist. The aorist tense simply borrows the time the verb's action is supposed to occur from the surrounding context. So then, Bandon, upon reflection, came back and said, This is really cool because 
the surrounding context is who was, who is, and who is to come. So isn't this neat? Has God reigned in the past? Yes. On earth? Well, yes. Now? Yes and no. Because right now, who occupies the throne of earth today? Satan does. It's his throne. God's permission. He has been deposed, but the deposition has not fully taken place yet. It will be when the seventh trumpet blows. And this is now, was, is, is to come. It's happened. It's happened. It's pronounced. Now, even though it's pronounced, a war still has to happen. Just like David Ben-Gurion said, Israel is today. They had to fight an Arab army for that to become a reality. And that's what's going to happen. So now chapter 12, we're going to stop and kind of step back. And we're going to take a little look at history. And this is one of the more remarkable historical overviews you'll ever see. Because chapter 12, 1 through 6 is a historical overview. So now a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve stars. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery dragon, having seven heads and ten hordes and seven diadems on his heads. The tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God and his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her 1,260 days. So here's the overview. In eternity past at some point, Satan rebelled. He said, I will be like the Most High. I want your throne. I'm going to take it. God said, you can't have it. Satan fell. He took a third of the angels with him. That's the dragon. And then, although Satan still has access to heaven, Satan continued to be the main actor on earth. Apparently that was his job all along. And the God-man came to earth and was born an Israelite. And Satan tried to kill him. We know he tried to kill him as a child through his servant Herod. And then he did kill him on the cross. But that death turned into victory. So, eternity passed. Jesus. And then the third part of human history is this woman, the nation of Israel, Satan wants to kill her again in the Great Tribulation. And God takes her to the wilderness and feeds her. Does that sound familiar? Can you think of any other group of Israelites that went to the wilderness and got fed? And how long? 1,260 days. 42 months. Three and a half years. And again, I don't know why he picks months sometimes and days sometimes and years sometimes. But perhaps... He picks days because the manna came once a day. The provision came once a day. And that's how we live our life, is one day at a time. 1,260 days. And then, verse 7, And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon. Now, just a little thing. We're going to see very, very clearly, as we get to chapter 19, 20, 21, we are not going to spend eternity in heaven. Not. That is not what's going to happen. We go to heaven when we die because 
Heaven is the place where God is. We know that from the Lord's Prayer, right? On earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done. Just, heaven's just a place where God's will's done, wherever that is. And we go to God's presence and we go where His will is done when we die. But the goal of the Bible is not to have an ethereal place that we go without bodies and float around and pluck on harps and all those kind of uh, things. That was the Greek idea. That's not the biblical idea. The biblical idea is heaven comes to earth. And that's the culmination of human history is when heaven comes to earth. And we tend to think, well, just everything's perfect in heaven. No. What's happening in heaven right here? War. There's war breaking out in heaven. And who is it? Who's, who's fighting? Michael and his angels on one side. The dragon and his angels on the other side. I don't know if this will be visible. Uh, I don't want to be there if, if like stuff can spill over and hurt me, but I'd sure love to watch it. This is going to be epic. But they, Satan and his angels, did not prevail. Nor was any place found for them in heaven any longer. You know, Satan, we're going to see in a second, spends most of his time in heaven, it appears. He's like a lot of people today who advocate policies for everybody else but not themselves. Like people that fly around in their jets trying to advocate that we end fossil fuel use. You know? That's pretty, that's pretty typical. Well, Satan seems to be that kind of a guy. <laughs> So the great dragon was cast out, and that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world, he was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. So, I I didn't say this when I said the dragon and his angels, where I got this from, but obviously in this context, pretty clear what, what this is, this interpretation. Then, verse 10, I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for... The accuser of our brethren, who accused them before our God, day and night has been cast down. Have you ever felt accused? Have you ever struggled with guilt? You know where that comes from? There's two possible places. One is us, because we deserve it. And the other is from Satan, because he says Jesus' death on the cross is not sufficient. And we have to do something on our own to overcome guilt. Good luck with that. Good luck with that. Yes, Satan is the accuser. In fact, this word Satan is a very interesting word. Satan is actually a transliteration of a Hebrew word, shaitan. The word shaitan shows up in the Old Testament eight times before it's translated Satan. And the eight times it shows up in the Old Testament before it's translated Satan, it's translated accuser. So-and-so accused somebody else of something. It's just a verb. So it could really just be accuser all the way through. It's a job title. Prosecutor. We know a prosecutor in here. His job is to accuse people. Accusation's not all bad. Okay? Well, that's what Satan is. He's an accuser. What does the adversary do? Let's look at 1 John 2, 1 through 3, just real quick. 1 John 2, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. So can we sin as believers? Certainly. Are we still believers when we sin? Are we still God's children when we sin? I hope so, because we all sin. 
As a matter of fact, John makes a point in 1 John that most of our sin we don't even know about. And if we'll just confess what we do know about, God takes care and just wipes over all the stuff we don't know about. It's because we're just sinful little creatures. Watch a child. They're rotten little sinners, every one of them. (laughs) If, If anyone sins, though, and that's all of us, what happens? If anyone sins, what happens? We should doubt whether we're really children. Is that what he's going to say? If we sin, we should go and, and overcome the sin with some sort of penance? Is that what he's going to say? Look what he says. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Why do we need that advocate? Because there's a prosecutor up there accusing us. And every time the prosecutor accuses us, the defense attorney stands up and says, that's already taken care of. You can't convict somebody for something that the punishment's already been paid for. This double jeopardy. And He Himself is the propitiation for our sins and not ours only, but the whole world. That's some pretty good news. But Revelation tells us, hey, the accusations are over now. Court's dismissed. Isn't that cool? You see, the kingdom's proclaimed and now it's the war is happening to actually put it into practice we probably would be better off at this point to be charismatic or something. We ought to be jumping up and down and uh, waving our hands at this point. Verse 11, And they overcame him, this who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. And they, the, the believers, the martyreos, the witnesses, overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And what is, what's the overall theme of, of Revelation? Why is it such a simple book? What does it want us to do? Be a great witness. And don't fear death. That's the whole point of Revelation. It's really simple. Two points. Be a great witness. Don't fear death. When things look like they're out of control, they're not. God's in control. That, it, that's Revelation. Really simple. Complex events, we don't need to know the complex events. We need to know really simple thing. When you see things seemingly in chaos, they're not. Not from an internal perspective. Everything that happens in here, every one of the seven seals, authorized. Every one of the seven trumpets, authorized. The bold judgment, the plagues, poured out. They're initiated by the angel. God's in control. And the way to overcome Satan and his accusations, be a faithful witness unto death. Do not love. Which love do you think this is? Eris, agape, or um, phileo? Which would you guess? No guesses? Phileo? That's what I would guess. Agape. Agape. We make a mistake with agape. Agape, we usually say agape is perfect love. That's not the way the Bible uses agape. It is used that way often. But agape means choice love. Choice love. Agape is used of the Pharisees. They love the seats of honor. They made a choice to say, I'd rather have this than that. Uh, 1 John. Do not love the things of this world. For the lust of the flesh and the boastful pride of life, etc. Do not love. Do not choose to chase the things of the world. So, if we choose to save our life, our pasuke, our life... Our soul, Pesuke is translated soul about half the time and life about the half the time, depending on which way the translators are trying to push the theology. I wish they'd just say life every time. It'd be a lot simpler. Uh, it, usually, if you'll see if the word salvation is included, they'll put soul in there. 
Okay? It's just life. So if you don't try to save your life in this world and instead put your testimony above it, then you're an overcomer. And guess what this world word is? And they overcame him. They defeated him. They prevailed over him. They conquered over him. What word? Nikeo. Yeah. Every promise in the letters to the seven churches, what was and is. At the end, what did it say? Every time. To him who? Conquers. Prevails. Wins. How do you win? Don't love your life more than your testimony. Now, is this just physical death? There are lots of different kinds of death, right? Rejection is probably the most common. The first death that Adam and Eve experienced was exile. The world always threatens exile. And our response should be, I'm already not part of your world. Well, you, you can't kick me out of your country because I'm already not a citizen. I don't care about your exile. I care about my testimony, my martyreo. That's how we overcome. Be a great witness. Don't fear death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you that dwell in them. Now this is interesting. Rejoice, O heavens. Now we tend to think the heavens already rejoice and everything's all happy, right? Who's living in heaven right now? Satan? Who else? His angels? Does that mean it's a happy place? Remember Job? Hey, Satan, where you been? Where are they? They're in heaven when that's happening. Okay? So... Rejoice, O heaven. Finally, these guys are cleared out. They've been evacuated. They've been evicted. Your nasty neighbor that is always having parties late at night and keeping you up has moved out. Therefore rejoice. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth. I feel sorry for whoever they're moving into next door to now. And the sea. Now this one puzzles me. How many people you know live in the sea? I think what he's talking about here is the sea we're going to see the beast come out of. We'll talk about that in a minute. For the devil, the adversary, the accuser, has come down to you having great wrath because he knows he has a short time. So the kingdom's proclaimed. War breaks out in heaven. Satan loses that war. So now he's going to bring his war to earth. First hand. Hear himself. Now, when does this happen? I don't know. But my guess is in the middle of the 70th week. And part of the reason why this last three and a half years, this last 42 months, this last 1,260 days is so dire is because Satan's actually on earth with his angels wreaking havoc. And if that's not bad enough, we already saw this, but there's going to be like additional resources pulled out of the bottomless pit. So now when the dragon, verse 13, now when the dragon saw he had been cast to earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. Now this is Israel. I would presume it would include those who have been grafted into Israel, which is every person who's believed on Jesus Christ. And remember, we're in the 70th week of Daniel, the 70th seven-year period, and the first 69 weeks culminated with Jesus being born and dying, being cut off, Messiah's cut off. And then we have this whole period of the Gentiles that's not even mentioned in this overview that we started with in chapter 12. It's not even mentioned. And then when the Antichrist makes a a covenant with Israel, the 70th week starts, and now this clock begins again. And this is said by Daniel to be 70 weeks that are proclaimed for Israel and her people. 
And then this list of things that everlasting righteousness will be brought in. Transgressions will be taken care of. That this is going to be kind of the completion, the fulfillment of human history and all the promises to David and Abraham are going to happen in this 70 weeks. 69 weeks, Messiah's cut off. 70th week, and in the middle of the 70th week, you're going to have the abomination of desolations. And remember, Jesus pointed back to that. You'll know the sign of when I'm coming back when you see that abomination of desolation. So my guess is that that's when we're talking about here. So 14, but the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she's nourished for time, times, and half a time. So now we have three and a half years, 42 months, 1,260 days, and times, times, and half a time. Now, what in the world is this? Well, there's one other place where this phrase is used that I found. Guess where it is? Daniel. So let's go to Daniel chapter 7. In Daniel chapter 7, let's start in verse 1. First year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions while he's on his bed. And he wrote them down. Verse 2, he said, I saw my vision, and behold, four winds of heaven stirring the great sea. Here's the sea. And four great beasts came up from the sea, each one different. First beast, a lion with eagle's wings. Wings are plucked off, a human heart's put in. Lion with eagle's wings. This is going to be Babylon. And the human heart put in, that's Nebuchadnezzar when he's given a, a, a godly heart. Okay, that's, that's number one. The second was like a bear and has ribs in his mouth. And it's between them, it was said, arise, devour much flesh. This is Persia. Persia comes in and devours Babylon and becomes this great kingdom. Third, there's another, a leopard, that had on his back four wings. So if it's not, a leopard's not fast enough on its own, this one has wings. And had four heads and dominion was given to it. This is Greece. This is Alexander. He conquered all of Persia just in no time flat. Just unprecedented. And then I saw a fourth beast, dreadful, terrible, exceedingly strong, had huge iron teeth, devouring, breaking in pieces, trampling trampling residue with his feet. It was different, and it had ten horns. This is Rome. Remember, the ten horns. Rome has ten horns. Remember that. We're going to see all this again in just a second. So I was considering the horns, not UT. And there was another horn, a little one, coming up from among them, and it was the first horn plucked out by the roots, and there in the horn were the eyes of the eyes of a man. And his mouth speaking pompous words. And I watched till thrones were put in place. Remember the word throne shows up 41 times in Revelation. Because, again, one of the main messages, God's on his throne. He never leaves. may look like it, but he didn't. He never leaves. All this stuff on earth, it's all authorized. And the Ancient of Days was seated. Why do kings sit down? Because they're the ones in authority. His garment white as snow, the hair of his head pure like wool. Always remember that. White hair is a sign of authority. Sorry, Herman. (laughs) His throne was a fiery flame. What was his throne? A fiery flame. What is Jesus' throne? Say it for me. A fiery flame. Keep that in mind. And a fiery stream issued and came forth from before the throne. Where are we? In heaven. What's happening? A fiery flame. Where's it coming from? God's throne. A con- who is? A consuming fire. It's a little different picture. You're getting a different picture of heaven here? And a thousands of thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated. The books were open. 
And I watched then because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking. And I watched till the beast was slain and its body destroyed and given to the burning flame. Where are we? In heaven. Before the throne. What's being burned? The beast. Keep this picture in mind. We're going to see it again. As for the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with clouds of heaven. He came in the ancient of days. They brought him near before him. Then was to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. Seventh trumpet. That all peoples, nations, and languages should, should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. And he shall reign forever and ever. Which shall not pass away forever and ever. And his kingdom, the one that shall not be destroyed. You go back to the statue in chapter 2 of Daniel. you got Babylon on the top, and then Persia, and then Greece, and then Rome. Two legs, partly iron, partly clay, keeps breaking apart, and then is so tough like iron that it kills everything. And then a big rock made without human hands comes down and bashes the statue and fills the whole earth. And that's the kingdom of God. Well, that's what we're talking about. It's happening right now. There's a lot of pain that has to happen in the meanwhile. I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit. The visions of my head troubled me. Do you blame him? And he goes and he asks this angel, and he said, well, what's going on? What is all that happened? What is all this? So skip down to verse 23. And he goes through and he tells, you know, these, these beasts are different kingdoms and stuff. And then he says, the fourth king, beast will be the fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all the kingdoms. It will devour the whole earth. This is Rome. Trample it, break it in pieces. We're seeing the Roman Empire, and in the last 2,000 years, this Roman period, there's wars like never occurred before. I just heard something recently. 60 million people died in wars in the 20th century. And I suppose that doesn't even account all the people that died from uh, communist uh, internal purgings and stuff like that. I mean, it's just, it's just brutal. Verse 24. The ten horns are ten kings. We're going to see this again in just a second. Who shall arise from this kingdom, this Roman kingdom, and another shall rise after them. He shall be different from the first ones and shall subdue three kings. He shall speak pompous words against the Most High, shall persecute the saints of the Most High, and shall intend to change times and laws. So this new king is going to come in and make all the laws himself. He's going to be a despot. And the saints shall be given into his hand. So we're going to see a lot of martyrs out of the martyreos. And, and how long? For time, times, and half a time. So this seems to be exactly the same thing as what's going on in Revelation. And I don't know why he says time, times, and half a time. But the best I can do is, it's so you'll connect the dots and say, this is what's happening, it's the same thing. Okay, that's my best shot. Okay, so let's go back to Revelation 12. That was a long interlude to make a point about time, times, and half a time. However, the time, time, and half a time vision is a precursor of what we're about to see. So, verse 15, "...the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. But the earth helped the woman, the earth opened its mouth, and swallowed up the flood which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. And the dragon was enraged with the woman. He went to make war against the rest of the offspring who kept the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ." So, something's going to happen where Satan tries to destroy all the believers 
and God's going to miraculously save them, is the best I can do for that. And he doesn't tell us exactly how it's going to happen. He just tells us it's going to happen. Remember, he sealed the people, and a lot of this stuff couldn't hurt them. It's no, no real different than the plagues of Egypt. All, this, all these images, very reminiscent of the plagues of Egypt and God's miraculous delivery from Egypt. So then chapter 13. All this is going to sound real familiar. Then I stood on the sand of the sea. So again, this is this interlude, and John's seeing all this stuff. I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea. Sound familiar? Having seven heads and ten horns. Have you seen that before? And on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw, and this time it's one beast. That's different than Daniel 7. We saw four different beasts, four different kingdoms. Now we have one beast, and look what he is. Like a leopard... His feet like the feet of a bear, his mouth like the mouth of a lion, and the dragon gave him power. So here we have the beast with ten heads, that's Rome, and he's like a leopard, Greece, like the bear, Persia, like the lion, Babylon. So now what we have is this new kingdom that's incorporated, that's got all the characteristics of everything that's gone before. And here's what I think we can anticipate. It's going to be brutal and have a war machine and be heartless like Rome. It's going to be rapid and able to do blitzkrieg across the whole earth like Greece. It's going to have a vast administration and order and this kind of lumbering bureaucracy like Persia. And it's going to have absolute authority where... Live and die based on what Nebuchadnezzar says, like Babylon. All in one package. Which might be why the Bible never refers to this leader as anything other than the creature. It's going to be a bad deal. So now we can see part of why woe to the earth. And where does the power for this kingdom come? From the dragon. So now we have the inauguration of an unholy trinity. The dragon is like the father. This beast is going to be like the son. Look at this. Verse 3, I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world marveled and followed the beast. He's resurrected somehow. So you've got this earthly king who's been resurrected. Given all authority, all authority has been given unto me, he would say. Jesus said that, didn't he? And then he said, I'm leaving and I'm giving it to you. Be great witnesses. Don't fear death. And this beast is going to say, my kingdom is of this world. And if you don't do what I say, off with your head. A little different approach. Where's the Holy Spirit? Ah, we will get there momentarily. So they worshiped the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worshiped the beast saying, who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? Everybody loves a winner. You know, I looked up, who's the best-selling NFL jersey? Any guesses? Peyton Manning's number two. Tom Brady. Yeah, he was one of the most Super Bowls, right? All I do is win, 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 no matter what. I just want to be a winner. Keith taught me that song, by the way. (laughs) Everybody wants to be a winner, so they join up. Verse 5, And he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and was given authority to continue for 42 months. So the dragon gave him his authority, but 
the heavenly authority provides a limit. 42 months. 1,260 days. Three and a half years. Time, times, and half a time. 42 months. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. It was granted to him to make war with the saints and overcome them, not chaos. So there is an earthly victory that happens. And look, every time death happens, Satan has a little victory because death is the final enemy. And we'll see death thrown into the lake of fire as we get to the back of this book. That's not the way God designed it, but it's the way it is today. But it won't stay that way. And we can overcome him if we don't fear death. Isn't that cool? So all authority was given to him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. This is the beast. All who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And then this admonition. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. Who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here's the patience and faith of the saints. And I honestly am not really sure what to do with this passage. It's a little confusing to me. But I think one thing that's clear is that whatever circumstances come into our lives, we're expected to be faithful unto death and not fear death, whatever they are. That's the message we're supposed to take out of this. I think there's a lot more to this, but I'm just not quite too confident about what it is. So, then verse 11, I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. The first beast came up out of the sea, and this beast comes up out of the earth. What is this beast? He had two horns like a lamb, but he spoke like a dragon. And he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. He performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast. Telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here's wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it's the number of a man. His number is 666. So this other beast is actually called in Revelation the false prophet. Look at 1920. Revelation 19.20. Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast. So this is the false prophet. So now we have the unholy trinity complete. The dragon who gives authority to the beast. The beast who appears to have some sort of resurrection, who's the king of the earthly world. And the false prophet, the unholy spirit, who provides the power for miracles to support the beast. And Jesus said, well, if you don't believe me because of what I said, just believe me because of my miracles, right? And that would have been good enough. But here you have all those things taking place for the unholy trinity. So we've got 12 and 13 in the can now. So now let me talk about who is this beast? What does it mean? 
What is 666? So beast is the Greek word that means beast. It just means wild animal. Remember when Paul has the serpent in his hand and he shakes it off into the fire and he doesn't die and the people say, oh, he must be a god. Remember that? Beast. And it's translated serpent because from the context, clearly, it's just wild, means wild animal. When Peter has the wild animals come down in the sheep, wild animal, beast. It just means wild animal. So you've got this wild animal. And the question is, who is this wild animal? Well, I think the main point of the 666 is actually that it's a man. It's a wild animal, but it's a man. Without that, you'd kind of wonder. You know, because we've got these living creatures in heaven that aren't necessarily men. You've got these uh, demon locusts coming out of the bottomless pit and so forth. But let's just talk about, okay, who is this beast? First of all, he's a man, but also he's a dragon. So if we're going to have an unholy trinity, don't you have to have a dragon man to offset the God man? That makes sense, doesn't it? And look at 11.7. Then when they finish their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them and overcome them. So apparently the beast is a man that's also a demon. Exactly how that works, I don't know. But that certainly seems to be the case. We just saw the beast derives his power from Satan. And when we combine with this image of Daniel 7, he's rolling up all the kingdoms in this age of the Gentiles all into one horrific package. Revelation 14, 9 through 11. The third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives the mark on his forehead, he will also drink the wine of the wrath of God. So this beast, and we saw this in 13, there will be a requirement you cannot buy or sell. You cannot even participate in the world system whatsoever unless you take this mark. What the mark says, we won't know, but it's probably some kind of loyalty mark. That's normally the way it is. And in fact, remember from what we just read, the false prophet causes people to bow down to a statue, and the statue even comes to life and speaks. What does that sound like? Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? And Daniel, he had the statue, and they wouldn't bow down, so they got thrown in the fiery furnace. Well, all this, all this has been presaged. You know, we've seen uh, images of what this is going to look like, even the abomination of desolation. Uh, Revelation 15:2 says of the beast, "And I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire, and those who have the victory over the beast, over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass." So the beast who gives the mark, will be overcome by the testimony of the saints who will not take the mark. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. This is how you beat him. You don't fear death, put your witness first, and then you win. Now, let's just think about that for one sec. If winning is something we really care about, and we do, really care about, and you know, if I'll just put my witness first, no matter what else happens, I win, is that not like the best news ever? That's the message of Revelation. We cannot lose. We will 100% for certain win if we'll put our witness and testimony first and not fear death, any kind of death. What a cool message. I mean, death death is no fun to go through, which is why he's telling us all this stuff. Revelation 16.2, I'm giving you all the instances of beast. So the first went out and poured his bowl on the earth, and the foul and loathsome sore came on the men who had the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. So the first bowl we're going to see is limited to the ones who have the mark. And then 16.10, the fifth bowl is actually poured out on the throne of the beast. Which that's interesting, right? Because the throne came from the dragon. And so now there's actually judgment going straight to the dragon's throne. 
and they're gnawing their tongues because of the pain. And then Revelation 16.13, demons proceed from the mouth of the beast to deceive people together at Armageddon. Isn't that interesting? There has to be a deception happen so the people all gather at Armageddon. Revelation 17, 1-17 has an explanation of the beast and the explanation has seven heads. And the seven heads are the seven hills, seven hills of Rome, as well as the seven kings. And we'll, we'll go through this more when we get to it, but it says five kings have come, one is and one is to come. And I think all that's telling us is we've had some Roman dictators. We've got a Roman dictator now. And this guy's going to be like a Roman dictator. In addition to being like Alexander the Great and Nebuchadnezzar before he had his heart transferred and Darius before Daniel intervened, that's what this guy's going to be like. That's a hideous thought. If you get depressed about things like presidential elections, it could be worse. It will be worse. Revelation 24, those who do not receive the mark of the beast participate in the first resurrection and reign with Christ for a thousand years. They sit on the throne. Those who do not receive the mark of the beast participate in the first resurrection, which we'll talk about when we get there. It's a special resurrection reward. And reign with Christ for a thousand years and they will sit on the thrones. This is one of the main rewards that Jesus holds out for the overcomers. To the overcomer I will give to sit with me on my throne, to reign with me for a thousand years. This is the parable of the talents. Uh, You give me faithful with the little, I'll give you many cities to rule over. And then finally, Revelation 20.10, the devil's cast into the lake of fire where the beast and the false prophet already are. So interestingly enough, the beast and the false prophet actually beat Satan into the lake of fire. And we saw that the beast and the false prophet's lake of fire experience started where? Daniel 7? In heaven, in the throne room, from the fire coming from the throne. Very interesting, don't you think? So... The beast is coming. He will be an unholy dragon man. He'll have a false prophet that will help him. That'll be an unholy spirit. And they will report to the dragon that gives them the throne. And the dragon has this limited authority and has been cast to earth. And so there's this overview of human history so that you can see that when the seals unfurl and the trumpets blow and the kingdom's pronounced, this is what's going on. And the big thing that's happening is There's a change of administration taking place. And the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ. Cool, huh? Thanks, God, for this uh, word of encouragement. I pray that you would just give us tremendous hope and tremendous energy to be faithful witnesses. In Jesus' name, amen.